The C4 principle here is a tool to help us get on track with God. And it's, it's an illustration of this is, is found here in the construction of the tabernacle where God has is, God is authorized this project and he's now going to select people to build it. And so he basically lays out his criteria for how to hire people. So the first thing he says is, you know, he wants to choose people. So you can see in the, the slide here, I've got this word calling showing up a couple of places. So I'll just read some of this. Then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Beziel, son of Ur, of the son of, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the spirit of God. Just a couple of points. You see, when, when you are chosen for something, the chooser is God. There is someone outside of you that's choosing what you are to do. That's called God. That's what, that's what a calling is. And it doesn't matter what you're called to, the caller calls you to it. When Jesus was called to be a carpenter, God called him to be a carpenter. So whatever you're called to do, if it's licit work, if it's really the call of God, he's the one who's called you to it. The next thing to note here is this person was called to be a superintendent of a project, a construction project, and he was filled with the Spirit of God. Now, this is the first occurrence in Scripture where it says anyone was filled with the Spirit of God. First occurrence. I asked this from my class here recently. I'm teaching this at a local Bible school, and I asked him, you know, what's, what's the first occurrence of somebody being filled with the Spirit of God? I mean, I got all kinds of answers, you know. I have people say, well, Elijah and Elijah. I said, no, no, that's, those are way, at, way downstream. What about prior to this? And, you know, they were guessing everything. I found, I said, you're just guessing. You don't know. The reality is this is it. This is the first time you have this phrase in building the tabernacle. This is the first person who's said to be filled with the Spirit of God. He was a construction superintendent. Now, that doesn't fit our picture, does it? Like, whoa, wait a minute. Being filled with the Spirit, that's really holy, isn't it? Great character. Yes, it is. And God valued this enough to say it's important that you build with godly character. Now, I'm going to submit to you that that is the way you build every way. Whatever you're going to build, you build with godly character. You take a look at some of these other examples I cited. For example, in Exodus 18, it's... It's got dispute resolution there as the, uh, the issue, and you will see that in that text, it takes godly character to be a good, good resolver of disputes. So, wow, this is a new level of thinking that godly character is not just required to do what we call church work. No, godly character is required to do any kind of work well. He goes on to say, and it's filled him with the Spirit of God and with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of craft. That's capability. Now, we, we understand that. The world understands this. If you're going to hire an accountant, you better have somebody who's skilled as an accountant. You're going to hire a salesman, you need somebody who's skilled as a salesman. You hire a teacher, somebody skilled to teach. Whatever it is that you're hiring, you need somebody skilled to do that. So that's, that's obvious. The world understands that. And that's a reality of how God made his universe. He's given all of us different skills and abilities. And you do understand you don't have the ability to do whatever you want to do. You only have the ability to do what you're called to do. Are you clear on that? You cannot self-define. It doesn't matter what your parents may have told you. And many parents, I'm sure they don't mean this, but they have wrongly led you to believe you can be anything you want to be. 
No, you can't. You can only be what God's created you to be. That's the only thing you will ever do really well. And one of the things you want to do is whatever you do, you want to do it with excellence. In fact, Colossians 3 tells us that whatever you do, you do, you do to the glory of God, and it's an act of worship. Now, that one's a really tough one for us because most of us don't think about what we do in the workplace as an act of worship. Well, you know what worship means? Can I challenge you on another false idea that's going around today? We think worship has to do with music. Well, it might, but that's really not the robust way to see it. The more robust way to see it is look at the words. And there's two basic words that are translated worship in the New Testament. One word means to kneel down and kiss. It's to show complete submission, total submission. The other word for worship is a word to serve. If you're submitted to someone, you're going to serve them, aren't you? You can see how the two are connected. And so that's really the sense of worship. So when, when Paul says in Colossians 3, he talks about, worship, talks about working in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is an Old Testament concept for worship. It suggests that I am bending the knee to Christ in my work. He defines everything about my work, and now I am simply his faithful servant carrying out his bidding in the workplace. Now, that's what it means to, to worship in the workplace. So I want to challenge you. Worshiping in the workplace isn't about singing songs. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with singing songs, but that's really not what it's about. You know, I, I, I was in Korea a few years ago, and I, we had, um, I was teaching this seminar to a group of people, and we met in the private room uh, of one of the financial services company there in, in Seoul, uh, South Korea. And when I walked into the meeting room where we were going to meet, uh, over in the corner there are these the musical instruments. And I, uh, I asked somebody, I said, uh, what's that for? And they said, oh, well, we have, we have worship here every morning you know, before we, we start work. I said, oh, you mean singing? Yeah, I said, yeah, we, we sing songs to the Lord. I said, well, that's great. I mean, wonderful. Uh, tell, me, tell, me, uh, tell me about how you serve your people. Tell me about how you serve your customers, your clients. What, what are you selling? What are you, what are you really doing here? Are you, do you know really what the Lord has called you to do here? And when I got into those discussions, they were not very clear about that. It all got down to what do you think it got down to? Money. Making money. That's what it was all about. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of them at all. That's not the point. I think it, it illustrates some confusion and some misunderstanding of what worship really is. If they were singing and then they were truly delivering great value to their customers in alignment with the will and ways of God, I would say, wonderful. I totally applaud that. Keep singing, keep praying, keep doing what you're doing. But if you're singing and thinking you're honoring God and then you're going and delivering a value proposition that doesn't honor God, you're not worshiping. That is not worship. So we've got to get real clear on what this is. Our work is an act of worship, which is why we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Let me skip on down to uh, the, the last few points there. You notice that I've got uh, calling there at the, again at the end. 
You see, I put it after the word willing. So let me just read that last sentence. Then Moses summoned Bezael and Eliab and every skilled person whom the Lord had given ability, which is capability, and who was willing, and now I've got this little phrase calling in there, to come and do the work. And the word willing there in English is kind of a weak word. Um, you know, when you ask somebody, would you, you know, would you do such, such and such if you're willing? You know, when I, I grew up, a Baptist using my Baptist background again. I remember them getting up and standing and saying, stand up and uh, turn to page uh, 432 in your hymnal, if you will. You ever hear that? Or stand up and take your Bible and turn to John 316, if you will. See, this was the idea that, you know, it's, it's really up to you. Instead of saying, you know, please turn to that text or please sing this song. You know, instead of giving a directive, because, you know, we, we in English, we, we keep acknowledging this independence that we think we have, which is a false, false idea. The Hebrew word for willing here is the word lieb. And that word means passion. It implies passion. So what's going on here is that we're seeing two aspects of calling. There is the external aspect of God calling and calling you to something at the same time there's something within you that resonates and says that's what i'm about that's what i should be doing which is a beautiful gift because that means you will enjoy what you're doing isn't that wonderful you ever done things you don't enjoy i'm sure all of us have on some level and there's some of that you'll have to do for example most of us will have to get education and not a lot of people like school, particularly when you're young. As you get older, you probably enjoy it a little bit more. So you'll have to do some things just because you need to do those things. But ultimately, as you get on track with what God's called you to do, there's something in you that's going gonna, gonna to give you a lot of peace and joy and satisfaction doing it. Because you'll know, this is what I've been made to do. This is why I'm here. This is my mission. This is my contribution to what God is doing here on earth. So that's the internal aspect of calling. Now, finally, the commissioning aspect. <clears throat> Notice that if you back up a few sentences there, it talks about doing the work of construction the sanctuary uh, just as the Lord has commanded. Now, a command is issued by an authority figure. Somebody that's not an authority figure has no right to give you a command. But somebody has authority has the right to give you a command. So we have to recognize in God's order, he has delegated authority. So in the workplace, there are people that are called of God to start organizations, and they have authority over that organization, and they have authority to direct you as a member of that organization. So that's where the commissioning comes in, is you've got to be willing. When you join an organization, you get under that authority, and you do what they direct you to do. So that's the C4 principle. So it's calling character, capability, commissioning. And I've, I've got this little diagram. It's just simple diagram to kind of show how it all flows together. And you see where it all intersects. I just kind of put a little white dot and say, this is the bullseye. That's your target. I, you want to go for where those four components come together and the work you're doing, you have C4 to do.